So hello, <laughs> um, welcome to the fifth episode of this uh, podcast um, project thingy that I'm doing. Um, this episode, um, <clears throat> you already know what it's about because you can see the title and you can see my little introduction overview to the thing, but um I haven't even recorded it yet, so I don't know what this episode is called, and I don't know what uh, the introduction is going to be about. You can see all that, but I haven't recorded this yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so <clears throat> this time it's going to be something different. I haven't. What I'm going to do in this episode is not something I've done before, so yeah, it's an experiment. Um, I'm recording this as though it's, it's going to be the recording that I'm going to put out for this episode. Who knows, maybe, um, because what I'm going to do is, I have chosen an essay um, that I read ooh, a long time ago, um, nine years ago I read it, I can see here on the page, I read it in September 2014, and the essay is just, you know, it's brilliant, it just totally resonated with me, um, and yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to... It's short, it's like 22 pages, so I think it is possible. I think if this is probably going, judging by the last two, this is probably going to be like another two hour one. I don't know, no idea, but I'm going to give it a go. So um, I'm going to read through the whole thing and I'm going to just be discussing it as I read it. Uh, anything that I think I should stop on, I'm going to stop on because, you know, that's what this whole podcast is about. It's about, uh, it's about reading and about the, yeah, the amazing things we get from reading. And so... Like the other episodes were, yeah, I did two short essays. I reviewed two short essays, but um, yeah, the, fir the first episode was the essay by Percy Bysshe Shelley. And I had just taken out my, um, the most important things um, and, I, and I spoke about those. That was a short essay as well. But anyway, that's the way I did that one. And then the other one, yeah, it was a short essay, but it was a part of a big book of 250 pages, something so. It was, uh, I, I couldn't read the whole thing out. But this one, yeah, it's just an essay of like 22 pages. So I'm thinking, and also, um, the essay, I'll just, okay, I'll introduce it. So, although you probably already know because you see the title, maybe. Um, so it's by a, um, am I still recording? Yes, I am. So it's by um, an American. Uh, he was an essayist. He was a lecturer, he was a philosopher, he was an abolitionist, which is really cool. He was against, he was trying to abolish slavery. And he was a poet. Uh, and he led a movement in the mid-19th century called Transcendentalism. Um, and Transcendentalism, um, a core belief of this, this movement was the fundamental goodness of people and nature. And it's the... The movement believed that institutions have corrupted the purity of the individual and they believed that uh, people were at their best when they were just self-reliant and independent. And um, this guy, did I mention his name? He's called Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was born in 1803, had a long life, and he died in 1882, which is the year Joyce was born. Uh, coincidentally, I'm pretty sure. Um, 2nd, of Je 2nd of February, 1882 is Joyce's birthday. Anyway, um, so 
The transcendentalists, just this line from the wiki, uh, saw divine experience inherent in the everyday rather than believing in a distant heaven. So they had a very kind of a spiritual view of the world. They didn't believe that like there was some spiritual realm, you know, after this world. Who knows? Maybe they did think that as well. But but they really thought there was a spiritual character to the physical world that we all live in as well. Um, so as I said, they believed that institutions corrupted the individual, but uh, individuals were at their best when they were self-reliant and not dependent on institutions. And so one of his most famous essays is called Self-Reliance. And so that's the essay that I have chosen. He, he, um, he wrote a very famous, um, he, he has a book called Essays First and Second Series. I got this book a long time ago and I've read two essays from it. I must read the rest of them, but I read the one, this one called Self-Reliance and another one called The Poet. And they were just absolutely fantastic. They just really, really resonated with me. So in my other episodes, I, um, you know, I had completely like uh, devoured the book and like uh, read the whole thing and took everything out and thought about it for a while and I uh, made the presentation then, um, even though each time I made the full presentation, that was the first time I was doing it. It wasn't like the second go. Maybe there'll be another episode where I do at the presentation the second time around or something like that. We'll see. I'm just experimenting with this whole thing. So right now I'm going to do a new experiment. So yeah, so I'm just going to read through this whole essay. And in the theme of the title uh, and on the subject of the essay, which is self-reliance, Yes, I'm just going to rely on myself here in the moment. I haven't looked at this essay in years, maybe possibly it was 2014, the last time I read the whole thing. I have here in the copy in front of me my kind of uh, marginalia, my commentary. I have some pencil comments on each page, but uh, I'm not going to be reading them out. I'm going to be I'm going to be responding to it uh, as I am now, you know. <clears throat> Plus, often they're very kind of personal, some of these things I write down. Um, yeah, it might take too much explaining, you know, to go into those kind of things. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, so we, we know who the guy wrote it is. Did I? Maybe we don't. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Don't know if I said his name already. Anyway, uh, he went by his middle name, apparently, Waldo. Where's, where's Waldo? Where's Wally? Where's Wally? Oh, different name. Different thing there. Anyway, um, so yeah, this is an experiment. As I said, the whole podcast is all about reading. So here is a live example <laughs> of, uh, of reading. Um, I think that's it. I think I can just give it a go now. Right, so here we, here we go. So I read the other day some verses of poetry written by an eminent painter, uh, which were original and not conventional, so pretty good poems. The soul always hears an admonition in such lines. Let the subject be what it may. Admonition. I think that's like a like a strict kind of what would you call it? Like a like a giving out or something, or or a, yeah, censuring someone. The soul always hears like a a real. Can we say roar? in such lines. I think we can. Let the subject be what it may. The sentiment they instill is of more value than any thought they may contain. The sentiment they instill is of more 
value than any thought they may contain. To believe your own thought, to believe that what is true for you in your private heart is true for all men. This is genius. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's this, yeah, this, I think uh, the subtitle of this essay could be called like, trust yourself. Um, yeah. So there, I'll just read that again because it's nice. <laughs> Although if I keep on doing re-readings, um, this can be even longer than it's already going to take. And also I'm just thinking maybe some of the people who are going to be listening to this are not native English speakers, but they have pretty good English perhaps. So I think I should try and slow down my voice. Maybe, I don't know. <clears throat> that might be hard to do. I uh, hope you can keep up. <laughs> okay, so speak your latent conviction and it shall be the universal sense. Speak your latent conviction. Speak what you, latent conviction is like what you believe, but you don't say it. And it shall be the universal sense. Ooh. For the inmost in due time becomes the outmost. And our first thought is rendered back to us by the trumpets of the last judgment. Familiar as the voice of the mind is to each, the highest merit we ascribe to Moses, Plato, and Milton is that they set at zero books and tradition and spoke not what men, but what they thought. So yeah, this is, um, yeah. <laughs> A great essay reminding us to not always rely on the thoughts of other people. <laughs> it's a bit contradictory to my purposes, but no, nah, this guy does have respect for uh, all of those people. I'll get into it. I'm sure he's going to say that what they did was simply what he's saying in this essay. We revere Plato and all these people because they did what this essay is about. Plato wrote such good stuff. Milton wrote such good stuff that we all appreciate if we read it because they did what he is talking about in this essay. So yes, it's not contradictory to my purposes. He's not, he's not uh, dismissing book reading. No, he's not at all. <clears throat> Glad I cleared that up. <laughs> um, they set at naught I said zero. They said at naught, which means zero, books and traditions and spoke not what men, but what they thought. They relied on themselves. And man should learn to detect and watch that gleam of light which flash flashes across his mind from within more than the luster of the firmament of bards and sages. Yeah. One sec. <clears throat> Yet he dismisses without notice his thought because it is his. In every work of genius, we recognize our own rejected thoughts. That's a great line. They come back to us with a certain alienated majesty. Great works of art have no more affecting lesson for us than this. They teach us to abide by our spontaneous impression with good-humoured inflexibility than most when the whole cry of voices is on the other side. Else tomorrow, a stranger will say with masterly good sense precisely what we have thought and felt 
all the time and we shall be forced to take with shame our own opinion from another um that's just great see it, the whole thing is just about trust yourself my window is open <laughs> and i'm not going to close it because uh the air gets so bad so quickly here um but uh i don't know i think if someone i'm on the second floor but i think if someone was outside i wonder would they be able to hear me so when i'm doing my podcast in this room in this building it's it is actually it has a, a little bit of a live more so of a live uh person to person <laughs> feeling for me because i think sometimes i can hear hear people speaking and what they're actually saying but anyway it doesn't matter i'll, I'll continue on <clears throat> there was just someone making noise outside that's outside so i just commented on that so yes trust yourself and speak your own thoughts otherwise one day you'll hear someone else i don't know a singer a poet or an artist or something um saying the exact same things that you um have thought yourself but just never said them it's because i don't know for whatever reason you thought it wouldn't you just thought that's what that's what you just think but you you didn't think someone else might be able to relate but uh um yeah um yeah that's a great line although say what you feel otherwise you'll have to hear your own opinion come back to you from someone else with shame because that was your own opinion and you didn't say it anyway ooh this could be a very long episode <laughs> i'm not even finished the first page okay there is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance mm. to envy like envying someone else is just ignorance that imitation is that imitation is suicide these are things that a man or woman comes to realize in their development one is that envy is ignorance another is that imitation is suicide yeah completely that he must take him or herself for better for worse or for worse as he is he or she is that though the wide universe is full of good no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him but through his toil bestowed on that plot of ground which is given to him to till yeah you got to just uh trust yourself develop yourself yeah try to be authentically yourself and that all comes from yeah self reflection thinking for yourself the power which resides in him or her you is new in nature have you bloomed it yet <laughs> um and none but i'm kind of changing some of the words here and none but he knows none but you know what that is which you can do nor do you know until you have tried <laughs> um nothing not for nothing one face one character everyone looks different everyone looks different don't they one fact makes much impression on him and and another none this sculpture in the memory is not without pre-established harmony the eye was placed where one ray should fall that it might testify of that particular ray we but 
half express ourselves and are ashamed of that divine idea which each of us represents. Mm. It may be safely trusted as proportionate and of good issues, so it be faithfully imparted. It's kind of an old style of English, isn't it? It might be a bit uh, hard to grasp it on the first time around. But stick with me. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. Mm. Mm. I, I, I'm just reading these last few sentences. I'm totally reminded of an essay that I read by Oscar Wilde. I think it was called, I think it was in uh, this essay. I've read a few of his essays, they're great. Um, it was called The Soul of Man Under Socialism. And basically the idea was that um, um, kind of the industrial revolution should free up uh, human labor so that people can have more leisure time to be themselves, um, to develop themselves. And I, I'm just reminded of, uh, he, in that essay, he was, talk, he was saying that he believed that like one of the kind of messages of Jesus was to just be yourself, have the kind of courage to live faithfully, truly to yourself and, you know, as honestly as you can and as authentically as you can. <clears throat> and so, yeah, that's just, uh, this was, hmm, when was Wilde alive? I think, I think this guy might be a little bit before Wilde. Anyway, he said, God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. A man is relieved and happy when he has put his heart into his work and done his best. But what he has said or done otherwise shall give him no peace. It is a deliverance which does not deliver. In the attempt, his genius deserts him. No muse befriends him. No invention, no hope. So he's saying, things are good if you are... A man is relieved and happy when he has put his heart into his work and done his best. But what he has said or done otherwise, if it wasn't his best, shall give him no peace. It is, a it, it is a deliverance which does not deliver. Yeah. Okay, so trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Accept the place, the divine providence, that... Oops. Accept the place the divine providence has found for you. The society of your contemporaries. The connection of events. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah, accept it and go with it. Great men have always done so and confided themselves childlike to the genius of their age. The genius of their age. Maybe he means the spirit of their age. Because actually, I believe originally the Greeks believed that genius was when a person, a poet, was actually possessed by a spirit and this spirit was speaking in them. So, yeah, the genius of an age, I think he means the spirit of an age. Words kind of change over time. If we say genius now, you wouldn't think of uh, a spirit, in, uh, you know, inhabiting a person. Anyway, betraying their perception that the absolutely trustworthy was seated at their heart. Um, yeah, betraying their perception that the, I got a message there, that their perception that the absolutely trustworthy was seated at their heart, trust yourself, working through their hands 
predominating in all their being. Yeah. Um, and we are now men, and we are now men and women, and must accept in the highest mind the same transcendent destiny, and not minors and invalids in a protected corner, not cowards uh, fleeing before a revolution, but guides, redeemers. What's that phrase? Um, something like, uh, oh, is it from the Bible or where is it? Something like, um, let your good deeds shine before you or something like this. Can't quite uh, recall where that was now, but it just came into my mind there. Anyway, it's just what this guy is talking about as well. Mm. Let your good deeds so shine before you that you are a light in the world. Just came to me there. <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. So it's all very encouraging stuff, isn't it? Don't be a coward. Um, not cowards fleeing before a revolution, but guides, redeemers and benefactors obeying the almighty effort. What is the almighty effort? And advancing on chaos in the dark the almighty effort that's a cool sentence what is that a eh? the almighty effort do you know what the almighty effort is <laughs> the almighty stride of human evolution perhaps perhaps where is this all going um yeah, I think could be. I have my own opinion, but I won't. Uh, I won't. Uh, I won't go much further than that on the almighty effort. But just a cool sentence that draw my attention to it. What pretty oracles nature yields us on this text? What pretty oracles nature yields us on this text? In the face and behavior of children, babes, and even brutes, that divided and rebel mind that distrust of a sentiment because our arithmetic has computed the strength and means opposed to our purpose. They have not. Hmm. Their mind being whole, their eye is as yet unconquered. And when we look in their faces, we are disconcerted. Infancy conforms to nobody. All, all conform to it, so that one babe commonly makes four or five out of the adults who prattle and play to it. So God has armed youth and puberty and manhood no, no less with its own piquancy and charm and made it enviable and gracious and its claim not to be put by if it will stand by itself. Okay, some of these sentences, yeah, I'll, we'll, just, we'll just get through them. <laughs> uh, do not think... The youth has no force. Do not think the youth has no force because he cannot speak to you and me. Hark, in the next room his voice is sufficiently clear and emphatic. It seems he knows how to speak to his contemporaries. Bashful or bold, then he will know how to make us sen seniors very unnecessary. I think he's just talking about how kids just do their thing. Um... They trust themselves. Anyway, the nonchalance of, and then, you know, they grow up and then society kind of tells them what to do and they trust themselves less and less. The nonchalance of boys who are sure of a dinner 
and would disdain as much as a lord to do or say ought to conciliate one is the healthy attitude of human nature the nonchalance of boys who are sure of a dinner they don't yeah they don't have worries they're just uh, comfortable and confident in their kind of environment of let's say a family home life or something they you know just can be brazen or whatever because they know their parents love them and their parents are going to provide everything anyway um they would disdain as much to a lord or do or say ought that's an old english word isn't it to conciliate one is the healthy attitude of human nature yeah this just trusting yourself he's arguing is just the healthy attitude of human nature a boy in his a boy is in the parlor what the pit is in the playhouse a boy is in the parlor what the pit is in the playhouse independent oh yes independent um irresponsible looking out from his corner on such people and facts as pass by he tries and sentences them on their merits in the swift summary way of boys as good bad interesting silly eloquent troublesome he cumbers himself never about consequences about interests he gives an independent genuine verdict you must court him he does not court you but the man is as it were clapped into jail by his consciousness as soon as he has once acted or spoken with eclat i think that's a french kind of word for clarity as soon as he has uh, as soon as he has once acted or spoken with eclat how do you pronounce that word i haven't seen that word in english in for a very long time with eclat eclat e c l a t as soon as he has once acted or spoken with uh let's just call it clarity he is a committed person mm, nice he's he's trusting himself he's speaking from his own personal uh position watched by the sympathy or the hatred of hundreds <laughs> putting yourself out there eh um whose affections must now enter into his account oh yeah there is no lathe for this i think that's like uh what is a lathe it's like a is that a like a thing for cutting down long grass or am i thinking of a what do you call that word a skit a sky or something there is no lathe for this l-e-t-h-e that's a strange word ah that he could pass again into his neutrality yeah you see this is it like <laughs> you put yourself out there live on the spot you you gotta you gotta be a bit uh whew, yeah you gotta uh, you gotta uh be careful uh you could you could it could go horribly wrong <laughs> i'm trying my best to be careful um <clears throat> okay so ah uh, that he could pass again into his neutrality who can thus avoid all pledges and having observed um i i just saw a thing on uh, instagram the other day it was like a sculpture of socrates kind of looked like socrates or or plato and it but it was animated and it was saying the only way to avoid criticism is to say nothing to do nothing 
and to be no one, to be no one, just came to my mind there. Anyway, uh, who can thus avoid all pledges and having observed, observe again from the same unaffected, unbiased, unbridled, unaffrighted innocence? Just he's talking about being an observer to someone who's actually acting and saying something. Must always be formidable. He would utter opinions on all passing affairs, which being seen to be not private but necessary would sink like darts into the ear of men and put them in fear um, these are the voices which we hear in solitude but they grow faint and inaudible as we enter into the world and society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. <laughs> this is such a good essay. Don't you agree? <clears throat> um, society is a joint stock company in which the members agree for the better securing of his bread to each shareholder to surrender the liberty and, cu and culture of the eater. Yeah. <laughs> the virtue in most request is conformity. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking of like, if you're anywhere on a train, on a bus or in a restaurant or getting a coffee somewhere and something's going on, you know, who will, if there's something, I don't know, something happening, someone's arguing or something or someone's, some drunk person has come into the place and they're like aggressive or something, you know, who, who, who intervenes, who makes it their business and who does, who acts, you know, just, yeah, I think this essay, not just in those emergency situations, but uh, yeah, that comes into it as well. It's just uh, such a cool essay. Anyway, I'll just continue on. Self-reliance is its aversion. Yeah, self-society is, uh, how do I conjugate that? Self-reliance is society's aversion. It loves not realities and creators, but names and customs. Whoso would be a man or woman must be a non-conformist. Yeah, to claim yourself, you have to step out from the sometimes expectations of society in different situations, perhaps. Yeah, you got to claim yourself and yeah, it can be scary, but... It's it's the truth, really, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, he's just making a great point here. How <laughs> sometimes society will make you not want to say the obvious. Anyway, mm. um, yeah, who so would be a man or woman must be a nonconformist. He who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by the name of goodness, but must explore if it be goodness. Nothing is at last sac sacred, but the integrity of your own mind. Absolve you to yourself, and you shall have the suffrage, the support of the world. <laughs> I remember an answer, which when quite young, I was prompted to make to a valued advisor who was wont to importune me with the dear old doctrines of the church who was wont to imp importune who who wanted to uh, 
kind of preach about some doctrines of the church to Waldo here. Uh, on on my <clears throat> on my saying, what have I to do with the sacredness of traditions if I live wholly from within? My friend suggested, but these impulses may be from below, not from above. I, I replied, they do not seem to me to be such, but if I am the devil's child, I will live then from the devil. Ooh. No law can be sacred to me, but that of my nature. Good and bad are but names very readily uh, transferable to this or that. The only right is what is after my constitution. The only wrong, what is against it. A man is to carry himself in the presence of all opposition. Yeah, if you're in a situation <laughs> which, for whatever reason, if you knew something was right and everyone else thought it was wrong, you have to carry yourself in all the face of all that opposition. Otherwise, ooh, it'll be hard to live with yourself, wouldn't it? As if everything were titular and ephemeral. Titular, I do not know what that word means. I haven't seen that in a long time. As if, thing, as if everything were titular and ephemeral. Ephemeral meaning just kind of like transient. But he, as if everything were titular and ephemeral, but he, oh yeah, so he's saying in that situation where, let's just say for, for whatever reason, there's an office meeting or something, <laughs> and one person knows something to be true and no one else is aware of it, because for whatever reason that person discovered it, and, but yet everyone believes the situation to be otherwise, but that one person knows the actual truth, and so he has to speak that truth as if, where was it, as if everything else were ephemeral, but he yeah, that's cool. It's just so, it's just constant encouragement to, uh, yeah, be authentic to yourself. I wonder what, um, I wonder what Jung would have made of uh, this guy. I might look that up. <clears throat> Carl Jung, all about, uh, yeah, self-actualization, self-realization, being your authentic self, all this kind of stuff. Um... I am ashamed to think how easily we capitulate, meaning kind of compromise, uh, to badges and names, to large societies and dead institutions. Every decent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. Every decent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. He's just kind of marveling at the kind of uh, power of an independent-minded person over institutions and, and let's say the status quo i ought to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth in all ways if malice and vanity wear the coat of philanthropy shall that pass Ooh, nice sentence if if malice and vanity wear the coat of philanthropy shall that pass hmm. uh, if if an angry bigot assumes this bountiful cause of abolition and comes to me with his last news from Barbados. Why should I not say to him, Go, love thy infant, love thy wood chopper, be good natured and modest, have that grace, and never varnish your hand? Uncharitable ambition with this incredible tenderness for black folk a thousand miles off. I, I just can't actually, I, I, I just, I don't know, that word black folk, I just, I, it's, for me, I, I really don't like it because it's, uh, 
it's so divisive. I wouldn't, I don't call myself white. You know, it's just too simplistic. It's too divisive. I just, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't like those. Um, anyway, because this is an older guy, <laughs> different generation. Um, I would never refer to, uh, you know, someone who had darker skin as black or you know, I would maybe, you know, someone from Africa or whatever, you know, I just, I just think those two words, they're, they're divisive and triggering. Uh, and yeah, I don't like them, not comfortable with them. I treat everyone the same, you know, <laughs> just these words we need to, um, yeah, that's, that's a, a thingy for another day. I'll, I'll just continue on. Um, where was I? Um, talking about uh, colored folk a thousand miles off. Thy love afar is spite at home. Rough and graceless would be such greeting. But truth is handsomer than the affection, affectation of love. Your goodness must have some edge to it. Else it is, or else it is none. The doctrine of hatred must be preached as the counteraction of this doctrine of love when that plumes and whines. Um, I shun father and mother and wife and brother when my genius calls me. It's good, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, isn't that actually, I'm just reminded now, I mean, I grew up in Ireland, uh, so quite familiar with Christianity and uh, I have listened to the Gospels and I'm just thinking here now when he says that I shun father and mother and wife and brother when my genius calls me you know Jesus when he was doing his thing and preaching and I think he was in his own hometown or something and he was there preaching and uh, <laughs> the people there were like oh look that's that guy Jesus that's um isn't he uh, Mary and Joseph's son? What the hell is... What's he doing over there making a fool of himself? And then um, they were trying to dissuade him from saying all of his uh, teachings. And um, he... Uh, and they said, you're embarrassing your mother. And then, you know, what did, he say? what did he say? He said, who is my mother? So he had to speak his truth. So uh, that's just... Uh, I shun father and mother and wife and brother when my genius calls me. Um, I, I would write on the lintels and the doorpost, whim, hmm? W-H-I-M. I would write on the lintels of the doorpost, whim. Why? I hope it is somewhat better than whim at last, but we cannot spend the day in explanation. Um, expect me not to show cause why I seek or why I exclude company. Then, again, do not tell me, as a good man did today, of my obligation to put all poor men in good situations. Are they my poor? I tell thee, thou foolish philanthropist, that I grudge the dollar, the dime, the cent I give to such men as do not belong to me and to whom I do not belong. There is a class of persons to whom, by all spiritual affinity, I am bought and sold. For them, I will go to prison. Ooh, interesting. Um, if need be, but your miscellaneous popular charities, the education at college, 
of fools, the building of meeting houses to vain end to which many now stand, arms to sots, and the thousandfold relief societies. Though I confess with shame I sometimes succumb and give the dollar, it is a wicked dollar which by now and by which by whoops it is a wicked dollar which by and by I shall have the manhood to withhold. Hmm. There was an interest. I, I I was grasping what he was getting at there. If maybe he, if he doesn't continue with it, I might get back to that point. Virtue, virtues are. Yeah, I think he might be gone off it there. It was interesting. He was saying like um. He's talking about these poor people, and then he's he's just kind of. Uh, but your miscellaneous popular charities. Um, there is a class of persons to whom, by all spiritual affinity, I am bought and sold. For them, I will go to prison, if need be. Hmm. Uh, I'll leave that there. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Uh, if I were to dwell on it now, it might just take too long. But I'll, maybe when this recording is done, I might come back to that and have another, develop my thought on that. As you can do on anything that I've, that has been brought up here in this essay. You can press pause, I can't hear. Um, virtues are, in the popular estimate, rather the exception than the rule. Virtues are, in the popular estimate, rather the exception than the rule. Hmm. There is the man and his virtues. Men do what is called a good action, as some piece of courage or charity. Much as they would pay a fine in expiation, expiation of daily non-appearance on parade. Their works are done as an apology or extenuation of, of their living in the world, as invalids and the insane pay a high board. Their virtues are penances. I do not wish to expiate, but to live. Hmm... My, I think I'm going to be getting a summary in my head here of these last few sentences because, yeah. My life is for itself and not for a spectacle. I much prefer that it should be of a lower strain so it be genuine and equal than that it should be glittering and unsteady. I wish it to be sound and sweet and not to need diet and bleeding. I ask primary evidence that you are a man and refuse this appeal from the man to his actions. I know that for myself it makes no difference whether I do or forbear those actions which are reckoned excellent. I cannot consent to pay for a privilege where I have intrinsic right. Few and, few and mean as my gifts may be, I actually am and do not need for my own assurance or the assurance of my fellows any secondary testimony. Okay, maybe that was a bit difficult to grasp. Um, what I... This is... Okay, I'll just go on. <laughs> what I must do is all that concerns me, not what the people think. This rule, equally arduous in actual and in 
intellectual life may serve for the whole distinction between greatness and meanness. It is the harder because you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. It is easy in the world to live after the world's opinion. Yeah, to just be a sheep, isn't it? It is easy in solitude to live after our own. But the great man is he who in the midst of the crowd keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. That is cool. Um, did, you, did, you, did you feel that? <laughs> Isn't that... Uh, I don't know. I just feel so much of the things that this guy was saying in this, in this uh, essay. Um, the great man or woman is she or he who in the midst of the, who amongst the crowd keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. Like if they're in some social situation that they're able to speak as comfortably as they would if they were by themselves somewhere. They're not like worrying what everyone is going to think or judge them. They just trust themselves and listen to themselves. The objection to conforming to usages that have become dead to you. The objection to conforming to usages that have become dead to you is that it scatters your force. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Uh, it loses your time and blurs the impression of your character. If you maintain a dead church, contribute to a dead Bible society, vote, uh, and this guy was, I think, a Christian, actually, I think, uh, I think he was, yeah, so he's not, he's not, he's not, uh, what would you call it, dismissing the Bible, but rather a dead Bible society he's dismissing, vote with a great party, either for the government or against it, spread your table like base housekeepers, until all these screens, I have difficulty to de uh, under sorry under all these screens, I have difficulty to detect the precise man you are. Yeah, if you're part of these kind of this is as I was saying, he 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 says that man gets corrupted when he's involved in too many institutions or becomes too dependent on institutions or some kind of group, and he's talking here about like uh, yeah a dead church, you know maybe some. The pastor, the priest isn't very interested. I don't know. He's just kind of filling a role, not really um, furthering the the whole venture. Um, yeah. So anyway, if someone isn't just simply involved in all these things and they're just kind of speaking um, as kind of uh, in such a tired way as some of these institutions are, under all of those tired screens, I have difficulty to detect the precise person you are. And of course, so much force is within from your proper life. Uh, let me see how, how much time we've uh, been doing here now. Oh my God, it's an hour. Right, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, but do your work and shall you know do your work and, but do your work and I shall know you. 
sorry. Do your work and you shall reinforce yourself. A man must consider what a blind, blind man's bluff. He says buff here. It's bluff. Uh, a man must consider what a blind man's bluff is the game of conformity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if if I know your sect, I anticipate your arguments. Nice. I hear a preacher announce for his text and topic the expediency of one of the institutions of his church. Do I not know... Oh, what's this little fly thing? Um, do I not know beforehand that not possibly can he say a new and spontaneous word? Yeah, if people are just following some other group too much and they're afraid to think for themselves. Uh, do I not, not know that with all this ostentation of examining the grounds of the institution, he will do no such thing? Ostentation is like showiness. Do I not know that he is pledged to himself not to look but at one side? Yeah. The permitted side, yeah, not as a man, but as a parish minister. He is a retained attorney, and these heirs of the bench are the emptiest affectation. Yeah, it's just... Hmm. Yeah, make me have lots of thoughts. Probably going to have lots of thoughts after this, but it would take too long now if I were to pause and dwell on them. Um... Which is what you can do. <laughs> you can pause it. I can't right now. I'm just going to keep going. Well, most men have bound their eyes with one or another handkerchief and attached themselves to, to some one of these communities of opinion. Yeah, it's like, isn't it so much easier to just go along with some creed or thought or something or, or someone, some group rather than thinking about things for yourself? Uh, you can go into these things, but still... You know, think for yourself within them. Um, this conformity makes them not false in a few particulars, authors of a few lies, but false in all particulars. Their every truth is not quite true. Their two is not the real two. Their four, not the real four. So that every word they say chagrins us. It's mm, a strange word. Um, and we know not not where to begin to set them right yeah because you can just see that they're just like too dependent on this the group think that avoids real thinking for yourself meantime nature is not slow to equip us in the prison uniform of the party to which we adhere we come to wear one cut of face and figure and acquire by degrees the gentlest asinine expression. Asinine, haven't heard that word in a long time. There is a mortifying experience in particular, which does not fail to wreck itself also in the general history. I mean, the foolish face of praise, the forced smile which we put on in company where we do not feel at ease in answer to conversation which does not interest us. The muscles not spontaneously moved, but moved by a low usurping willfulness grow tight about the outline of the face with the most disagreeable sensation. <laughs> For nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure 
and therefore a man must know how to estimate a sour face. <laughs> oh, it's, it's good, isn't it? Um, the bystanders look askance, look askance on him. That means, I guess, kind of disapprovingly. The bystanders look disapprovingly on him or her in the public street or in the friend's parlor. This, this, how dare this person express their own opinions? <laughs> if this, <laughs> this lunatic thinking for himself, oh my God, put him in jail. If this aversation, aversion, aversation had its origin in contempt and resistance, resistance like his own, he might well go home with a sad countenance. Mm. If this aversion had its origin in contempt and resistance like his own, ah, yes, uh, he might well go home with a sad countenance. But the sour faces of the multitude, like their sweet faces, have no deep cause, but are put on and off as the wind blows and a newspaper directs. Yet it is the discontent of the multitude more formidable than that of the Senate and the college, yet it is the discontent of the multitude more formidable than that of the Senate and the college. It is easy enough for a firm man or woman who knows the world to brook the rage of the cultivated classes. I'm just going to have a little uh, water drink here. Mm. <laughs> Their rage is decorous and prudent for they are timid as being very vulnerable themselves. But when to their feminine rage the indignation of the people is added, when the ignorant and the poor are aroused, when the unintelligent, when the unintelligent brute force that lies at the bottom of society is made to growl and mow and what and mow, to growl and mow what m o w. Uh, it needs the habit of magnanimity and religion to treat it godlike as a trifle of no concernment. Uh, the other terror that scares us from self-trust is our consistency, a reverence for our past act or word, because the eyes of others have no other data for computing our orbit than our past acts, and we are loath to disappoint them. Just th that last sentence there. Others have no data for computing. Uh, this was written in the 19th century. Wonder what, wonder what the original meaning of data was. Where does that come from? And, and computing. I must look that up. Anyway, <clears throat> um, but why should you keep your head over your shoulders? Why drag about this corpse of your memory, lest you contradict somewhat you have stated in this or that public place? Suppose you should contradict yourself. What then? It seems to be a rule of wisdom never to rely on your memory alone, scarcely even in acts of pure memory, but to bring the past for judgment into the thousand-eyed present and live ever in a new day. In your metaphysics, you have denied personality to the deity. Yet, when the devout motions of the soul come, yield to them heart and life. 
though they should clothe God with shape and color, leave your theory as Joseph his coat in the hand of the harlot and flee. The, the foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. The foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Adorned by little statesmen and philosophers and, and divines, with consistency a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with his shadow on the wall. Speak what you think now in hard words, and tomorrow speak what tomorrow thinks in hard words again, though it contradict everything you said the day before. Yeah, because you're always changing, so you can always only just be who you are now. Um, ah, so you shall be sure to be misunderstood if you do this. Is it so bad, then, to be misunderstood? Pythagoras was misunderstood, and Socrates, and Jesus, and Luther, and Copernicus, and Galileo, and Newton, and every pure and wise spirit that ever took flesh. To be great is to be misunderstood. <laughs> I suppose no man can violate his nature. All the sallies of his will are rounded in by the law of his being, as the inique uh, inequalities of Andes and Himale, I'm not sure who these people are, are insignificant in the curve of the sphere, nor does it matter how you gauge and try him. A character is like an acrostic or Alexandrian stanza. Read it forward, backward, or across, it still spells the same thing. In this pleasing, contrite wood life which God allows me. Let me record day by day my honest thought without prospect or retrospect, and I cannot doubt it will be found symmetrical, though I mean it not and see it not. Yeah, just be true to yourself. <laughs> my book should smell of pines and resound with the hum of insects. The swallow over my wind should interweave that thread or straw he carries in his bill into my web also. We pass for what we are. Character teaches above, uh, character teaches above our wills. Men imagine that they communicate their virtue or vice only by overt actions and do not see that virtue or vice emit, emits a breath every moment. Mm. There will be an agreement in whatever variety of actions, so they be each honest and natural in their hour. For of one will, the actions will be harmonious, however unlike, however unlike they seem. These varieties are of our lost sight of at little distance, at a little height of thought. Our tendency unites them all. The voyage of the best ship is a zigzag line of a, of a hundred tacks. See the line from a sufficient distance and it straightens itself mm, to the average tendency. That's pretty cool. Did you get that? <laughs> He's talking about like you're saying something today and then tomorrow you say a different thing. You say something else that seemingly contradicts it, but... It was just a little contradiction, maybe, and uh, but in the end, if you could, if you can take like a bird's eye view of what you're saying and the direction you've been going, 
yes, it's actually all going in the same direction. It was just veering left, bit to the right, left, a bit to the left, bit to the right. But in the end, you're all going, you're going in the one direction all the time because you've been true to yourself in each case and you're just learning as you're going, as you're going along. Maybe you're going to be doing the, uh, what is it? The thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And then the new synthesis gives you a new thesis and then a new antithesis and then a new synthesis. Um, where was I? The voyage of the best ship is a zigzag line of a hundred tacks. See the line from a sufficient distance and it straightens itself to the average tendency. Your genuine action will explain itself and will explain your other genuine actions. Your conformity explains nothing. Act, act singly and what you have already done sing, singly will justify you now. Greatness appeals to the future. If I can be firm enough today to do right and scorn eyes, I must have done so much right before as to defend me now. Be it how it will do right now. Always scorn appearances and you may always be. The force of character is cumulative. All the foregone days of virtue work their health into this. What makes the majesty of the heroes of the senate and the field which so fills the imagination? The consciousness of a train of great days and victories behind. They shed an united light on the advancing actor. He is attended as by a visible escort of angels. That is it which throw that is it which throws thunder into hmm Catham's voice, not sure who Catham is, and dignity into Washington's port, and America into Adam's eye. Honor is venerable to us because it is no ephemeri um, it is always ancient virtue. We worship it today because it is not of today. We love it and pay it homage because it is not a trap for our love and homage, but is self-dependent, self-derived, and therefore of an old immaculate pedigree, even if shown in a young person. Um, I hope in these days we have heard the last of conformity, and consistency. Ooh, I don't think so. Let the words be uh, gazetted and ridiculous henceforward. Instead of the gong for dinner, let us hear a whistle from the Spartan life. Nice. Let us never bow and apologize more. A great man is coming to eat at my house. I do not wish to please him. I wish that he should wish to please me. <laughs> Don't worship others, like, um, respect yourself, even if you think you're in the presence of someone who is, like, amazing. Anyone, if, if they're being self-reliant, will be just as impressive as the other person, probably. I will stand here for humanity, and though I would make it kind, I would make it true. Let us affront and reprimand the smooth mediocrity and squalid contentment of the times, and hurl in the face of custom and trade and office the fact which is the upshot of all history, that there is a great responsible thinker and actor working wherever a man or woman works. That a true man belongs to no other time or place, but is the centre of things. Mm. 
uh, an authentic person is the center of things. Where he is, there is nature. He measures you and all men and all events. Hmm. It's like he's the, he's the judge, he's the assessor. Um, ordinarily, everybody in society reminds us of someone else or of some other person. Character, reality, reminds you of nothing else. It takes place of the whole creation. The man must be so much that he must make all circumstances indifferent. Every true man is a cause, a country, and an age. Requires infinite spaces and numbers and time fully to accomplish his design. And posterity seems to follow his steps as a train of clients. A man, Caesar, is born. And for ages after we have a Roman Empire, Christ is born and millions of minds so grow and cleave to his genius that he is confounded with virtue and the possible of man. An institution is the lengthened shadow that is the lengthened shadow of one man. Mm, the institution of the church is the lengthened shadow of Jesus. As mm, monarchism of the hermit Anthony, the reformation of Luther, oh yeah, sorry, uh, monarchism, monasticism is the shadow of the hermit Anthony, the reformation, the shadow of Luther, Quakerism, shadow of Fox, Methodism of Wesley, abolition of Clarkson, Scipio, Milton, called the height of Rome, and all history resolves itself very easily into the biography of a few stout and earnest persons. <laughs> Let a man then know his worth and keep things under his feet. Let him not peep or steal or skulk up and down with the air of a charity boy, a bastard or an interloper in the world which exists for him but the man in the street finding no worth in himself which corresponds to the force which built a tower or sculptured a marble god feels poor when he looks on these to him a palace a statue <clears throat> or a costly book have an alien and forbidding air much like a gay equipage and seem to say like that who are you sir Yet they all are his, suitors for his notice, petitioners to his faculties that they will come out and take possession. The picture waits for my verdict. It is not to command me, but I am to settle its claims to praise. That popular fable of the sot who was picked up dead drunk in the street, carried to the duke's house, washed and dressed and laid in the duke's bed, and on his waking, treated with all obsequious ceremony, like the duke, and assured that he had been insane, owes its popularity to the fact that it symbolizes so well the state of man, who is in the world a sort of sot, but now and then wakes up, exercises his reason and finds himself a true prince wow i've been i haven't been commenting on it much now but did you get that that was cool <laughs> that was class uh, 
haven't said that phrase in a very long time. It's a totally Irish thing. That was class. Or is it an English thing? I haven't said that in a long time. Um, yeah, that was cool. It was like, uh, yeah, I would nearly read that again. Um, this poor person who's on the street and they think very little of themselves because they don't have stuff. And then, yeah, and then there's kind of a, a trick played on them. And uh, yeah, you you can skip back a few seconds and listen to that whole thing again. You see, since launching the podcast, it's it's affected how I'm doing it. <laughs> it's 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 good. You can just rewind there. Um, but that that was great. I I wish I could re-listen to that now. <laughs> I won't read it out again. Anyway, um, our reading is mendicant and psychophantic. In history, our imagination plays us false kingdom and lordship power and estate are a gaudier vocabulary are a gaudier vocabulary than private john and edward in a small house and common day's work this is what happens sometimes when you're reading things you don't really get it you don't really know who the, who he's talking about but what can you do you just you keep going on <laughs> i can't go off now and google these things to see what he's talking about Anyway, um, but the things of life are the same to both. The sum total of both is the same. Why all this deference to Alfred and Skanderberg and Gustavus? Suppose they were virtuous. Did they wear out virtue? Hmm. Um, as, as great a stake depends on your private act today, as followed their public and renowned steps. Yeah, he's just talking about anyone who was ever famous and great for something. As I, as I said at the start of this, they were only that because of what he's talking about and trying to encourage in this essay, which anyone can do if, if you know, if you develop it yourself. Uh, I mean, like people can do this without having ever heard this essay or heard anything about from this guy, you know? Because if in a situation you stood up for yourself or something, you realize, wow, that was, you know, if I hadn't done that, things could have gotten really bad. But because I did, I am now so much better off, you know? Uh, so maybe people can, you know, develop in this way just by simple little discoveries like that. And the more they do it, the more the more they uh, will will continue to do it. Um, so, so yeah, you don't have to have read this essay, but just this essay is like, is just pointing out that, uh, yeah, these great people were just people who were just independent thinkers, essentially, yeah. Um, as great a stake depends on your private act today as followed their public, those great people, and renowned steps, when private men shall act with original views the luster will be transferred from the action, actions of kings to those of gentlemen. The world has been instructed by its kings who have so magnetized the eyes of nations. It has been taught by this colossal symbol, the mutual reverence that is due from man to man, the joyful loyalty with which men have everywhere suffered the king the noble or the great proprietor to walk among them by a law of his own 
make his own scale of men and things and reverse theirs pay for benefits not with money but with honor and present the law in his person was the hieroglyphic by which they obscurely signified their conscious their consciousness of their own right and comeliness the right of every man the magnetism which all original action exerts is explained when we inquire the reason of self-trust who is the trustee what is the aboriginal self on which a universal reliance may be grounded what is the nature and power of that science baffling star without parallax without calculable elements which shoots a ray of beauty even into trivial and impure actions if the least mark of if the least mark of independence appear the inquiry leads us to that source at once the essence of genius of virtue and of life which we call spontaneity or instinct we denote this primary wisdom as institution as intuition oopsie whilst all latter teachings are tuition are tuitions ah that's cool isn't it uh, we denote this primary wisdom as intuition whilst all later teachings are tuitions hmm that's cool stick with the intuition less tuitions <laughs> in that deep force the last fact behind which analysis cannot go intuition all things find their common origin for the sense of being which in calm hours rises we know not how in the soul is not diverse from things from space from light from time from man but one with them and proceeds obviously from the same source whence their life and being also proceed we first share the life by which things exist and afterwards see them as appearances in nature and forget that we have shared their cause here is the fountain of action and thought here are the lungs of that inspiration which giveth man wisdom and which cannot be denied without impiety and atheism we lie in the lap of immense intelligence which makes us receivers of its truth and organs of its activity when we discern justice when we discern truth we do nothing of ourselves but allow a passage to its beams if we ask whence this comes if we seek to pry into the soul that causes all all philosophy is at fault its presence or its absence is all we can affirm every man discriminates between the voluntary acts of his mind and his involuntary perceptions and knows that to his involuntary perceptions a, perf a perfect fate is due he may err in the expression of them but he knows that these things are so like day and night not to be disputed my wilful actions and acquisitions are but roving the idlest reverie the faintest native emotion command my curiosity and respect thoughtless people contradict as readily the statement of perceptions as of opinion thoughtless people contradict as readily 
the statement of perceptions uh, as of opinions, or rather much more readily, for they do not distinguish between perception and notion. They fancy that I choose to see this or that thing, but perception is not whimsical, but fatal. If I see a trait, my children will see it after me, and in course of time all mankind, although it may chance that no one has seen it before me, for my perception of it is as much a fact as the sun. The relations of the soul to the divine spirit are so pure, the relations of the soul to the divine spirit are so pure that it is profane to seek to interpose helps that it is profane to seek to interpose helps. It must be that when God speaketh, he should communicate, not one thing, but all things, should fill the world with his voice, should scatter light, should scatter forth light, nature, time, souls, from the center of the present thought and new date, and new create the whole, Whenever a mind is simple and receives a divine wisdom, all things pass away. Means, teachers, texts, temples fa fall. It lives now and absorbs past and future into the present hour. All things are made sacred by relation to it, one as much as another. All things are dissolved to their center by their cause, and in the universal miracle, petty and particular miracles disappear. If, therefore, a man claims to know and speak of God and carries you backward to the phraseology of some old mouldered nation in another country, in another world, believe him not. Is the acorn better than the oak, which is its fullness and completion? Is the parent better than the child into whom he has cast his ripened being? Whence, then, this worship of the past? The centuries are cons conspirators against the sanity and authority of the soul. Time and space are but physiological colors which the eye makes, but the soul is light. Where it is, is day. Where it was, is night. Mm. And history is an impertinence and an injury, if it be anything more than a cheerful apologue or parable of my being and becoming. Let me just see how long the time is going here now. This is, how long have we done? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, not so bad. <clears throat> um, man is timid and apologetic. He is no longer upright. He does not say, I think, I am, but quotes some saint or sage. He is ashamed before the blades of grass or the blowing rose. Those roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones they are for they are for what they are they exist with god today there is no time to them there is simply the rose it is perfect in every moment of its of its existence before a leaf bud has burst its whole life acts in the full-blown flower there is no more in the leafless root there is no less its nature is satisfied it is it, it, it satisfies nature in all moments alike, but man postpones or remembers. He does not live in the present, but with reverted eyes laments the past, or heedless 
of the riches that surround him stands on tiptoe to foresee the future he cannot be happy and strong until he too lives with nature in the presence above time hmm. they said that uh this guy waldo ralph waldo emerson uh, and the transcendentalists were like the american romantic romantics and yeah it's romantic the romantics were all about worshiping nature and taking nature as an inspiration um um so he's kind of saying here like be as present as the flower <laughs> as authentic as the flower this should be plain enough yet see what strong intellects dare not yet hear god himself unless he speak the phraseology of i know not what david or jeremiah or paul we shall not always set so great a price on a few texts on a few lives we are like children who repeat by rote the sentences of granddames and tutors. What, what's a granddame? I don't know. And as they grow older, of the men of talents and a character they chance to see, painfully uh, recollecting the exact words they spoke afterwards, when they come into the point of view which those had who uttered these sayings, they understand them and are willing to let the words go, for at any time they can use words as good when occasions come. If we live truly, we shall see truly. It is as easy for the strong man to be strong as it is for the weak to be weak. When we have new perception, we shall gladly disburden the memory of its hoarded treasures as old rubbish. When a man lives with God, his voice shall be as sweet as the murmur of the brook and the rustle of the acorn. And now, at last, the highest truth on this subject remains unsaid. Probably cannot be said, for all that we say is the, is the far-off remembering of the intuition. That thought by which I can now nearest approach to say it is this. When good is near you, when you have life in yourself, it is not by any known or accustomed way. You shall not discern the footprints of any other. You shall not see the face of man. You shall not hear any names. The way, the thought, the good shall be wholly strange and new. It shall ex exclude example and experience. It's authentic, it's new, it's never before seen or heard. You take the way from man, not to man. All persons that ever existed are its forgotten ministers. Fear and hope are alike beneath it. There is somewhat low even in hope. In the hour of vision, there is nothing that can be called gratitude, nor properly joy. The soul raised over passion beholds identity and eternal causation, perceives the self-existence of truth and right, and calms itself with knowing that all things go well. Vast spaces of nature, the Atlantic Ocean, the South Sea, long intervals of time, years, centuries, are of no account. This which I think and feel underlay every former state of life and circumstances, as it does underlie my present and what is called life and what is called death. Life only avails not the having lived, 
Power ceases in the instant instant of repose. It resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state, in the shooting of the gulf, in the darting to an aim. This one fact the world hates, that the soul becomes, for that forever degrades the past, turns all riches to poverty, all reputation to a shame, confounds the saint with the rogue, shoves Jesus and Judas equally aside. <laughs> Why then do we prate our self-reliance? Inasmuch as the soul is present, there will be power, not confident, but agent. To talk of reliance is a poor external way of speaking. But speak rather of that which relies, because it works and is. Who has more obedience than I, masters me? Who has more obedience than I, masters me, though he should not raise his finger? Round him I must revolve by the gravitation of, of spirits. We fancy it rhetoric when we speak of eminent virtue. We do not yet see that virtue is height, and that a man or a company of men, plastic and permeable to principles, by the law of nature, must overpower and ride all cities, nations, kings, rich men, poets, who are not. This is the ultimate fact which we so quickly reach on this as on every topic, the resolution of all into the ever-blessed one. Self-existence is the attribute of the supreme cause, and it constitutes the measure of God by the degree in which it enters into all lower forms. All things real are so by so much virtue as they contain. Commerce, husbandry, hunting, whaling, war, eloquence, personal weight are somewhat and engage my respect as examples of its presence and impure action. I see the same law working in nature for conservation and growth. Power is in nature, the essential measure of right. Nature suffers nothing to remain in her kingdom, which cannot help itself. Nature suffers, suffers nothing to remain in her kingdoms, which cannot help itself. Ooh, nice one. The genesis and the maturation of a planet, its poise and orbit, the bended tree recovering itself from the strong wind, the vital resources of every animal and vegetable are demonstrations of this self-sufficing and therefore self-relying soul. Mm. Thus all concentrates. Let us not rove. Let us sit at home with the cause. Let us stun and astonish the intruding rabble of men and books and institutions by a simple declaration of the divine fact. Bid the invaders take the shoes from off their feet, for God is here within. Let our simplicity judge them, and our docility to our own law demonstrate the poverty of nature and forbid and fortune besides our native riches. But now we are a mob. Man does not stand in awe of man, nor is his genius admonished to stay at home, to put itself in communication with the internal ocean. But it goes abroad to beg a cup of water of the urns of other men. We must go alone. I, li I like the silent church before the service begins better 
Oh, I like the silent church before the service begins better than any preaching. How far off, how cool, how chaste the persons look uh, begirt each one with a prescient a precinct or sanctuary. Hmm, strange words there. Begirt. Um, so, let us always sit. Why should we assume the faults of our friend, our wife, our father, our child, because they sit around our heart or are said to have the same blood? All men have my blood, and I have all men's. Not for that will I adopt their petulance or folly, even to the extent of being ashamed of it. But your isolation must not be mechanical, but spiritual. That is, must be elevation. At times, the whole world seems to be in conspiracy to importune you with emphatic trifles, friend, client, child, sickness, fear, want, charity, all knock at once at thy closet door and say, Come out unto us, but keep thy state. Come not into their confusion. The power men possess to annoy me, I give them by a weak curiosity. No man can come near me but through my act. What we love, that we have, but by desire we bereave ourselves of the love. Hmm. If we cannot at once rise to the sanctities of obedience and faith, let us at least resist our temptations. Let us enter into the state of war and wake Thor and Woden, courage and constancy in our Saxon breasts. <laughs> uh, this is to be done in our smooth times by speaking the truth. Check this lying hospitality and lying affect affection. Live no longer to the expectation of these deceived and deceiving people with whom we converse. Say to them, O father, O mother, O wife, O brother, O friend, I have lived with you after appearances hitherto, meaning up to now. Henceforward, I am the truths. <laughs> it's so good. Be it known unto you that henceforward I obey no law less than the eternal law. I will have no con covenants but proximities. I shall endeavor to nourish my parents, to support my family, to be the chaste husband of one wife. But these relations I must fill after a new and unprecedented way. I appeal from your customs. I must be myself. I cannot break myself any longer for you. This is He's just saying he has to live authentically. He has to live his truth. He can't just be going along with the sheepish opinions of other people. If you can love me for what I am, we shall be the happier. If you cannot, I will still seek to deserve that you should. I will not hide my tastes or aversions. I will so trust that what is deep is holy. That I will, that I will do strongly before the sun and moon, whatever inly rejoices me, whatever inly rejoices me, and the heart appoints. If you are noble, I will love you. If you are not, I will not hurt you. And, and myself, by hypocritical attentions. Hypocritical attentions. If you are true, but not in the same truth with me, cleave to your companions. I will seek my own. 
I do this not selfish, selfishly, but humbly and truly. We're getting there. It is alike. Oops. It is alike your interest and mine and all men's, however long we have dwelt in lines to live in truth does this sound harsh today you will soon love what is dedicated by your nature as well as mine and if we follow the truth it will bring us out safe at last but so you may give these friends but so you may give these friends pain yes but i cannot sell my liberty and my power to save their to save their sensibility besides all persons have their moments of reason when they look out into the region of absolute truth, when they will justify me and do the same thing. The populace think that your rejection of popular standards is a rejection of all standard and mere antinomianism. I, I coincidentally came, came across this antinomianism before. It's like, um, it's the belief that, it's a Christian belief that says, because of what Jesus did on this planet, we are all already saved. <laughs> and so therefore, there's no need for any rules because it doesn't matter what you do because we're all already saved. Um, it's uh, pretty extreme. It's, it would be absolutely chaotic. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It must be a very extreme, I don't know. I only heard about it recently in, in by accident somewhere on, online, came across the word. Um, the populists think that your rejection of popular standards is a rejection of all standard and mere antinomianism. I'll just leave it at that. And the bold sensualist, I mean, to get into that as a whole Christian debate could be something for another episode, maybe. Anyway, antinomianism. You can look it up. It's basically a totally immoral, <laughs> totally immoral uh, viewpoints. I don't know how there could be any society with, with it. I don't know. It doesn't seem very... I don't know. I'll look into it. Um, and the bold sensualist will use the name of philosophy to gild his crimes. And the bold sensualist will use the name of philosophy to gild his crimes. But the law of consciousness abides. There are two confessionals, in one or the other of which we must be shriven. Shriven? We, you may fulfill your round of duties by clearing yourself in the direct and or in the relaxed way. Consider whether you have satisfied your relations to father, mother, cousin, neighbor, town, cat and dog, whether any of these can upbraid you. But I may also neglect this reflex standard and absolve me to myself. I have my own stern claim and perfect circle. It denies the name of duty to many offices that are called duties. But if I can discharge its debts, it enables me to dispense with the popular code. Hmm. But if I can dis discharge its debts, meaning if he does all the right things for all these people that you're involved with, but yet you want to live by a different kind of truth, well, then you're not hurting anybody if you're doing the basics for them, I think is what he's getting at. It enables me to dispense with the popular code. If anyone imagines that this law is lax, let him keep its commandment one day. Yeah, try it out, he's saying. And truly, it demands something godlike in him who has cast off the common motives of humanity ooh, and has ventured to trust himself for a task make, make master. High be his heart, faithful his will, clear his sight. 
that he may in good earnest be doctrine, society, law to himself, that a simple purpose may be to him as strong as iron necessity is to others. If any man consider the present aspects of what is called by distinction society, he will see the need of these ethics, the sinew and heart of man seem to be drawn out, and we are become timorous, desponding whimperers. We are afraid of truth, afraid of fortune, afraid of death, and afraid of each other. Our age yields no great and perfect persons. We want men and women who shall renovate life, our social state, but we see that most natures are insolvent, cannot satisfy their own wants, have an ambition out of all proportion to their practical force and do lean and beg day and night continually our house our housekeeping is mendicant our arts our occupations our marriages our religion we have not chosen but society has chosen for us we are parlor soldiers we shun the rugged battle of fate where strength is born that's cool we are parlor soldiers going along with everything that society has handed to us and expects us to follow blindly also. We shun the rugged battle of being true to yourself. If our young men misca miscarry in their first enterprises, they lose all heart. If the young merchant fails, men say he is ruined. If the finest genius studies at one of our colleges and is not installed in an office within one year afterwards in the cities or suburbs of Boston or New York, it seems to his friends and to himself that he is right in being disheartened and in complaining the rest of his life. A sturdy lad from New Hampshire and or Vermont, who in turn tries all the professions, who teams it, farms it, peddles, keeps a school, preaches, edits a newspaper, goes to Congress, buys a township, and so forth in successive years, and always, like a cat, falls on his feet, is worth a hundred of these city dolls. He walks abreast with his days and feels no shame in not studying a profession, for he does not postpone his life, but lives already. He has not one chance but a hundred chances let a stoic open the resources of man and tell men they are not learning they are not leaning willows but can and must detach themselves that with the exercise of self-trust new powers shall appear hmm. yeah detaching breaking from tradition new powers will appear, that a man is the word made flesh, born to shed healing to the nations, that he should be ashamed of our compassion, and that the moment he acts from himself, tossing the laws, the books, idolatries, and customs out of the window, we pity him no more, but thank and revere him. <laughs> and that teacher shall restore the life of man to splendor and make his name dear to all history. It is easy to see that a greater self-reliance must work a revolution in all the offices and relations of men. 
in their religion, in their education, in their, in their pursuits, their modes of living, their association, in their property, in their speculative views. Wow. Total revolution going on here. Um, in what prayers do men allow themselves? In what prayers do men allow themselves? That which they call a holy office is not so much as brave and manly. That which they call a holy office is not so much as brave and manly. Prayer looks abroad and asks for some foreign addition to come through some foreign virtue and loses itself in endless mazes of natural and supernatural and media mediatorial and miraculous prayer that craves a particular commodity. Anything less than all good is vicious. Prayer is the contemplation of facts. Only a few pages left now. Facts of life from the highest point of view. It is the soliloquy, the soliloquy of a beholding, a jubilant soul. It is the spirit of God pronouncing his works good, but prayer as a means to effect a private end is meanness and theft. But a prayer as a means to effect a private end is meanness and theft. It supposes dualism and not unity in nature and consciousness. As soon as the man is at one with God, he will not beg. He will then see prayer in all action. Hmm. Hmm. As soon as the man is at one with God, he will not beg. He will then see prayer in all action. He will then see action as prayer. <laughs> is this uh, part of the Protestant work, work ethic? Um, the prayer of the farmer kneeling in his field to weed it. Yes, I think it maybe is. The prayer of the rower kneeling with the stroke of his oar are true prayers heard throughout nature though for cheap ends. Caratach in Fletcher's Bonduca, hmm, don't know these references, when admonished to inquire the mind of the god Odate, replies, his hidden meaning lies in our endeavours. Our valours are our best gods. Hmm. Yeah, this is what I was saying, like transcendentalism sees spiritual nature in the material world. Kind of maybe as, uh, underneath it or uh, inherent in it somehow. Another sort of false prayers, another sort of false prayers are our regrets. Hmm. Discontent is the want of self reliance. Nice. It is infirmity of will. Regret calamities if you can thereby help the sufferer. Regret calamities if you can thereby help the sufferer. If not, attend your own works, and already the evil begins to be repaired. Our sympathy is just as base. We come to them who weep foolishly and sit down and cry for company, instead of imparting to them truth and health in rough electric shocks, putting them at once more in communication with their own reason. Nice, nice. The secret of fortune is joy in our hands. The secret of fortune is joy in our hands. Welcome evermore to gods and men is the self-helping man. Welcome evermore to gods and men is the self-helping man. For him all doors are flung wide open. Him all tongues greet. 
all honors crown, all eyes follow with, des with desire. Our love goes out to him and embraces him because he did not need it. <laughs> uh, we solicitously and apologetically caress and celebrate him because he held on his way and scorned our disprobation. Mm. The gods love him because men hated him. Ah, nice. Uh, to the preserving mortal, to the per persevering mortal, said Zoroaster, the blessed immortals are swift. To the persevering mortal, said Zoroaster, um, which was a religion in Iran, Zoroastrianism. Zoroaster was the kind of uh, prophet of that religion. Um, uh, the blessed immortals are swift. Nice. And as men's prayers are a disease of the will, <laughs> so are their creeds a disease of the intellect. They say with those foolish Israelites, let not God speak to us lest we die. They say with those foolish Israelites, let not God speak to us lest we die. Speak thou, speak any man with us and we will obey. Everywhere I am hindered of meeting God in my brother because he has shut his own temple doors and recites fables merely of his brother's or his brother's brother's God. Every new mind is a new classification. If it prove a mind of uncommon activity and power, a Locke, a Lavoisier, a Hutton, a Bentham, a Fourier, it imposes its, might have got pronunciation wrong there, it imposes its classification on other men. And lo, a new system in the proportion of the depth of the thought and so to the numbers number of the objects it touches and brings within reach of the pupil is his complacency but chiefly is this apparent in creeds and churches which are also classifications of some powerful mind acting on the elemental thought of duty and man's relation to the highest such is calvinism quakerism swedenborgism the pupil takes the same delight in subordinating everything to the new terminology as a girl who has just learned botany in seeing a new earth and new seasons thereby. It will happen for a time that the pupil will find his intellectual power has grown by the study of his master's mind, but in all unbalanced minds the classification is idolized, passes for the end and not for a speedily exhaustible means so that the walls of the system blend to their eye in remote horizon with the walls of the universe the luminaries of heaven seem to them hung on the arch their masters built they cannot imagine how you aliens have any right to see how you can see how it must be somehow that you stole the light from us they do not yet perceive that light unsystematic indomitable will break into any cabin even into theirs let them chirp a while and call it their own if they are honest and do well presently their neat new pinfold pinfold 
will be too straight and low, will crack, will lean, will rot and varnish, and the immortal light, all young and joyful, million-orbed, million-coloured, will beam over the universe as on the first morning. It is for want of self-culture that the superstition of travelling, whose idols are Italy, England, Egypt, re retains its fascination for all educated Americans. Um, they who made England, Italy, and Greece venerable in the imagination did so by sticking fast where they were, like an axis on the earths. <laughs> Again, he's just like, looking outside yourself is, is missing the point. Going to ancient Greece, you know, it's like, the Greeks were so famous because they were doing what this essay said. They were like believing in themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, where was I? They stuck fast to where they were, like an axis on the earth. In manly hours, we feel that duty is our place. The soul is no traveller. The wise man stays at home. And when his necessities, his duties, or any occasion call him from his house or into foreign lands, he is at home still and shall make men sensible by the expression of his countenance. That he goes, the missionary of wisdom and virtue, and visits cities and men like a sovereign and not like an interloper or valet. I have no churlish objection to the circumnavigation of, there's only about three pages left now or something, of the globe for the purposes of art or of study and benevolence, so that man, that the man is first domesticated or does not, so that the man is first domesticated or does not go abroad with the hope of finding somewhat greater than he knows. He who travels to be amused or to get somewhat which he does not carry travels away from himself and grows even grows old even in youth among old things. In Thebes, in Palmyra, his will and mind have become old and dilapidated as they. He carries ruins to ruins. Travelling is a fool's paradise. Our first journeys discover to us the indifference of places at home i dream that at, at naples at rome i can be intoxicated with beauty and lose my sadness i pack my trunk embrace my friends embark on the sea and at last wake up in naples and there beside me is the stern fact the sad self unrelenting identical that i fled from i seek the vatican and the palaces. I affect to be intoxicated with sights and suggestions, but I am not intoxicated. My giant goes with me wherever I go. Hmm. Yeah. But the rage of traveling is a symptom of a deeper unsoundness affecting the whole intellectual action. The intellect is vagabond, and our system of education fosters restlessness. Our minds travel when our bodies are forced to stay at home. That's cool. Our minds travel when our bodies are forced to stay at home. We imitate. And what is imitation but the traveling of the mind? Our houses are built with foreign taste. Our shelves are garnished with foreign ornaments. Our opinions, our tastes, our faculties lean and follow the past and the distant the soul created the arts wherever they have flourished. 
It was in his own mind that the artist sought his model. It was an application of his own thought to the thing to be done and the conditions to be observed. And why need we copy the Doric or the Gothic model? Beauty, convenience, grandeur of thought and quaint expression are as near to us as any. And if the American artist will study with hope and love the precise thing to be done by him, considering the climate, the soil, the length of the day, the wants of the people, the habit and form of the government, he will create a house in which all these will find themselves fitted and taste and sentiment will be satisfied also. Insist on yourself, never imitate your own gift you can present every moment with the cumulative force of a whole life's cumulation, cultivation. But of the adopted talent of another, you have only an extemporaneous half-possession. That which each can do best, none but his maker can teach him. No man yet knows what it is, nor can, till that person has exhibited it. Where is the master who could have taught Shakespeare? Where is the master who could have instructed Benjamin Franklin or Washington or Francis Bacon or Isaac Newton? Every great man is a unique. The Scipionism of Scipio is precisely that part he could not borrow. Shakespeare will never be made by the study of Shakespeare. Do that which is assigned you, and you cannot hope too much or dare too much. There is at this moment for you an utterance brave and grand as that of the colossal chisel of Phidias, or trowel of the Egyptians, or the pen of Moses or Dante. But different from all these, not possibly will the soul not possibly will the soul, all rich, all eloquent, with thousand cl cloven tongue, dine to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do or say something, it's going to be something new and different. <laughs> Won't be, you can't repeat a Shakespeare, you can't repeat a Dante, whatever. But if you can hear what these patriarchs say, surely you can reply to them in the same pitch of voice. For the ear and the tongue are two organs of one nature. Abide in the simple and noble regions of thy life. Obey thy heart, and thou shalt reproduce the foreworld again. As a religion, our education, our art, as our religion, our education, our art, look abroad, so does our spirit of society. All men plume themselves on the improvement of society, and no man improves. Hmm. People talk, yeah, that's like to change society. It actually has to happen with the individual changing, not this, you know, abstract society thing. It's about the individual. Society never advances. It recedes as fast on one side as it gains on the other it undergoes continual changes. It is barbarous. It is civilized. It is Christianized. It is rich. It is scientific. But this change is not amelioration, meaning betterment. For every thing that is given, something is taken. Society acquires new arts and loses old instincts. 
What a contrast between the well-clad, reading, writing, thinking American with a watch, a pencil and a bill of exchange in his pocket and the naked New Zealander whose property is a club, a spear, a mat and an undivided twentieth of a shed to sleep under. (laughs) But compare the health of the two men, you shall see that the white man has lost his but compare the health of the two men and you shall see that the white man has lost his aboriginal strength if the traveler tells us truly strike the savage with a broad axe and in a day or two the flesh shall unite and heal as if you struck the blow into a soft pitch and the same blow shall send the white to his grave (laughs) if the traveler tell us truly strike the savage with a broad axe and in a day or two the flesh shall unite and heal as if you struck the blow into a soft pitch and the same blow shall send the white to his grave Hmm. the civilized man has built a coach has but has lost the usage of his feet ah yeah he is supported on crutches, but lacks so much. Oh, just about finished now. So much support. Oops, where was that? He lacks so much support of muscle. He has a fine Geneva watch, but he fails of the skill to tell the hour by the sun. <laughs> this is just materialism, isn't it? Uh, a green, a Greenwich nautical almanac he has. And so being sure of the information when he wants it, the man in the street does not know a star in the sky. Yeah, you don't need to learn it because you can just go look at this thing if you ever want it. Because it's there, you don't need to know it because if you ever want it, you can go find it. The solstice he does not observe, the equinox he knows as little, and the whole bright calendar of the year is without a dial in his mind. His notebook impairs his memory. His libraries overload his wit. The insurance office increases the number of accidents. And it may be a question whether machinery does not encumber, whether we have not lost by refinement some energy, by a Christianity entrenched in establishments and forms. Oops. Whether we have not lost by refinement some energy, by a Christianity entrenched in establishments and forms, some vigor of wild virtue. For every Stoic was a Stoic, but in Christendom, where is the Christian? Um, There is no more deviation in the moral standard than in the standard of height or bulk. No No greater men are now than ever were, A singular equality may be observed between the great men of the first and of the last ages, nor can all the science, science, art, religion and philosophy of the 19th century avail to educate greater men than... Sorry, I'll go again. Uh, (laughs) Nor can all the science, art, religion and philosophy of the 19th century avail to educate greater men than Plutarch's heroes three or four and twenty centuries ago. Not in time is the race progressive. Phocion, Socrates, Anaxagoras, uh, Diogenes are great men, 
but they leave no class. He who is really of their class will not be called by their name, but will be his own man, and in this in his turn the founder of a sect. <laughs> the arts and inventions of each period are only its costume, and to do and do not invigorate men. The harm of the improved machinery may compensate its good. Hudson and Bering accomplished so much in their fishing boats as to astonish Parry and Franklin, whose equipment exhausted the resources of science and art. Galileo, with an opera glass, discovered a more splendid series of celestial phenomena than anyone since. Columbus found the new world in an undecked boat. It is curious to see the periodical disuse and perishing of means and machinery which were introduced with loud laudation a few years or centuries before. The great genius returns to essential man. We reckoned the improvements of the art of war among the triumphs of science, and yet Napoleon conquered Europe by the bivouac which consisted of falling back on naked valour and disencumbering it of all aid. The emperor held it impossible. The emperor held it impossible to make perfect, make a perfect army, says Las Casas, whoever that is, I don't know, without abolishing our arms, magazines, commissaries, commissaries and carriages until in imitation of the Roman custom, the soldier should receive his supply of corn. Well, I'm getting a bit uh, tired now. <laughs> Without abolishing our arms, magazines, commis commissaries, and carriages, until, in imitation of the Roman custom, the soldier should receive his supply of corn, grind it in his handmill, and bake his bread himself. Society is a wave. The wave moves onward, but the water of which it is composed does not. The same particle does not rise from the valley to the ridge. Its unity is only phenomenal. The persons who make up a nation today, next year die, and their experience with them. And so, the reliance on property, including the reliance on governments which protect it, is the want of self-reliance. Men have looked away from themselves and at things so long that they have come to esteem the religious, learned and civil institutions as guards of property and they depreciate assaults on these because they feel them to be assaults on property. They measure their esteem of each other by what each has and not by what each is. But a cultivated man becomes ashamed of his property, out of new respect for his nature. Especially, he hates what he has. If he sees that it is accidental, came to him by inheritance or gift or crime, then he feels that it is not having, it does not belong to him, has no root in him, and merely lies there, because no revolution or no robber takes it away. But that which a man is does but that which a man is does always by necessity acquire, and what the man acquires is living property, which does not wait to wait the beck of rulers or mobs or revolutions or fire or storm or bankruptcies, but perpetually renews itself wherever the man breathes. 
Thy lot or portion of life, said the Caliph Ali, is seeking after thee. Therefore, be at rest from seeking after it. Our dependence is seeking after thee. Therefore, be at rest from seeking after it. Seeking. Our dependence on these foreign goods leads us to our slavish respect for numbers. Our dependence on these foreign goods leads us to our slavish respect for numbers. The political parties meet in numerous conventions. The greater the concourse and with each new uproar of announcement. The delegation from Essex, the Democrats from New Hampshire, the Whigs of Maine, the young patriot feels himself stronger than before by a new thousand of eyes and arms. In like manner, the reforms, the reformers summon conventions and vote and resolve in multitude. Not so, O oh friends, will the God deign to enter and inhabit you, but by a method precisely the reverse. It is only as a, as a man puts off all foreign support and stands alone that I see him to be strong and to prevail he is weaker by every recruit to his banner is not a man better than a town <laughs> ask nothing of men and in the endless mutation thou only firm column must present presently appear the upholder of all that surrounds thee he who knows that power is inborn that he is weak because he has looked for good out of him and elsewhere, and so perceiving, throws himself unhesitatingly on his thought, instantly writes himself, stands in the erect position, commands his limbs, works miracles, just as a man who stands on his feet is stronger than a man who stands on his head. Last paragraph. So, use all that is called fortune. Most men gamble with her and gain all most men gamble with her and gain all and lose all and her wheel rolls. But do thou leave as unlawful these winnings and deal with cause and effect the chancellors of God. In the will work and acquire and thou hast chained the wheel of chance. In the will, in the will work and acquire and thou hast chained the wheel of chance and shall sit hereafter out of fear from her rotations. All political victory, a rise of rents, the recovery of, of your sick, or the return of your absent friend, or some other favorable event, raises your spirits, and you think good days are preparing for you. Do not believe it. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles. Well, there is an essay by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oh, two hours and five. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, what, I'm just thinking, how can I kind of... Uh, summarize all of that yeah i mean it's it's very good <laughs> um i guess i'm i guess honestly i am thinking like for the 
purposes of a podcast, like if I were to, yeah, once again, like extract um, the most kind of exciting ideas out of out of this uh, and and just present it myself. It might have been a more condensed. It would have been a lot. Would have been a lot quicker. Would have been a lot shorter. I mean, um, because there's a lot of maybe, there's a lot of maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, this is what reading is. <laughs> it, like when you read when you read a book or something, not everything is going to be uh, absolutely. Um, amazing um some you know some of it some some passages are just to set up other ones um but anyway yeah so it's it was a pretty cool essay um i'm wondering what was the first half of that essay better than the second i found myself commenting a lot more at the start and as it went on it just kind of uh yeah i don't know but anyway i'm sure the first hour maybe i think i don't know i wonder was the first hour better but anyway um what else shall i say let me have a drink and let me have a think yeah i guess um i guess i can just leave it at that that was uh that was uh, an essay by ralph waldo emerson um that was a bit of reading on the spot i haven't done too much of that but uh yeah so anyway just in terms of the future um it's funny because in in terms of the future episodes um i have quite a few episodes lined up to do i have an idea you know certain ones i want to do episodes on uh but yeah there's going to be other experiments um who knows, maybe the next episode is going to be another experiment that I already am working on. We shall see. Um, or it's going to be on one of those other... Yeah. Anyway, yeah. There's lots of episodes in my mind. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That was just a bit of reading. Um, hope you found it interesting. And, um, yeah. Talk to you next time. Episode number five. In the bag. <laughs>